sometimes we have less to do with a situation than we might think we actually do. Sometimes we think that our efforts had a greater impact on the outcome of a situation than they really did. It's like we overestimate our contribution to the big picture. It's especially that way with our littlest ones, our children, when they're very young. About 15 years ago, my son would follow me out into the front yard with his plastic lawnmower as I prepared to cut the lawn. He was so excited, walking around on his tiptoes, and he was saying, I'm going to mow grass, mow grass. Here's, here he is. Oh, wow. I'm going to get teary-eyed right here. And he thought that he was out there cutting the grass with Dad, doing a good work. You know, it's one thing for an 18-month-old to overestimate what's really going on. But at the end of the, end of the day, end of the project, they don't really understand how much they've invested, how much they've added to the project, how much work they've actually accomplished. They don't understand that the project was initiated by and was completed by someone else. And that's understandable for a young child, for a toddler, for an 18-month-old kid. But I wonder if we do that as adults in our relationship with God. If you have not done so yet, would you please locate in your copy of the Scriptures the book of Romans. It's on page 791 of the copy of the Bible in the pew. Last week we introduced a study that's going to be our focus in the coming months. It's a study in the book of Romans. If you were out of town last week or if you were serving in another part of the building, you were helping with children uh, for that sermon, I would uh, encourage you to go listen to it either on our podcast or on our website. Not because it's the best sermon you're ever going to hear, but it had a lot of visionary ideas to it for our congregation. It had a lot of uh, guidance for, that will help us all kind of be on the same page as we move forward as a co- cohesive whole as a congregation over the next few months. The study of this New Testament book has historically had a foundational trans- transformational impact for churches and individuals who have taken it up, who have, who have given themselves to the study of this book. And that's my prayer for Harvest Bible Church, that we won't come out of it the same. They say, I haven't had a lot of surgeries in my life, but they say that certain surgeries change an individual, that you come out differently from that surgery, and maybe emotionally or mentally or physically, however, you're a different person as a result of that. May God change us, and may we not come out of this study the same as we are entering into this study. Last week I told you that my goal was to read the 16 chapters of Romans each week that I preached from the book. And so some of you afterwards or throughout the week have told me that you were going to do that or that you were going to read at a different pace, but you were going to give yourself at some level to reading through the book of Romans. How many of you read some of Romans this past week? Great, 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 great. How many of you are going to read some of Romans this week? Great, even more of you because you felt a little bit guilty there. At the Welcome Center in the lobby, there are paper copies of the text of Romans. It's a parallel of the King James and the ESV beside each other. So if that could be a helpful tool for you, uh, you can use that in the coming days and weeks. Paul was writing to Christians in Rome that had organized into a church. It was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. He hadn't even met them yet, but he was writing to them. He had heard about them as a church, and he was hoping to meet them on his way to do an evangelistic work in Spain. 
he wanted them to partner with him in that endeavor as he was going to, to Spain. Paul addresses all sorts of topics as he works through this longest of his New Testament epistles. But ultimately, the, gospel, the, the apostle is writing to communicate about the, the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's going to be kind of the theme that we think on as we go through. I also mentioned last week that there seem to be six natural divisions to this epistle, which will, be, which will kind of guide our study. So there's the priority of the gospel, as we see in the very first, the very opening 17 verses, which we will read this morning. Then there's the heart of the gospel in the first few chapters. We have an assurance that comes from the gospel. And then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he gives a def- defense of the gospel. How do the Jews work into this? And what about the Gentiles? And how are they, who's grafted in? And how does all that work? And then there's the transforming power of the gospel. And this is where he really gets into the, the practical applications of, of how the gospel changes the way that we live as followers of Jesus Christ. And then the book ends in the last couple of chapters talking about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's read the first division again that highlights the priority of the gospel for, for, for the Apostle Paul. Would you please follow along as I begin reading in Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for the sake of his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In other words, that we may be mutually encouraged. Verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come to you, but was let hitherto, I was, I was hindered, in other words, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The word gospel seems to be used more than ever in evangelical circles. What a wonderful thing. How wonderful is that? We hear people talking about being gospel-focused, gospel-centered, 
In March, the next, or next month, several of us from, uh, from Harvest are going to be going to a conference called Together for the Gospel. Even our church tagline quotes Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, that we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. The gospel is the emphasis of the entire book of Romans. But Paul specifically uses the first 17 verses to teach about the priority that it is to have for the church and for you and for me individually. Well then, how does one go about prioritizing the gospel in our own personal life? Is there a secret code? Is there a formula? What's the first step? Our study in Romans will undoubtedly yield to us a myriad of gospel thoughts and practical helps. But perhaps our first study, our initial thought should be that living a life that prioritizes the gospel is, a more, is more about God's work than what you really think. Or conversely, you were not the most important person in you prioritizing the gospel. It's God's work. It's God's gospel. This truth doesn't dismiss our personal responsibility for faithful living. Rather, it increases our worship of God. In other words, it's God's gospel. It's God's initiative. It's God's work in you. God planned the gospel. God initiated the gospel. And as we are saying this morning, God is bringing that gospel work to a completion. We will be complete in Him. The gospel message that Paul prioritizes reveals that God is working through His children, through His timing, and through His Word. So let's begin this morning by thinking about the work of God through His child. The very first word in the book of Romans is Paul. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. God called a unique man to be the chief spokesman for the good news to the Gentile people. But even before we see, see Paul living out a gospel that prioritizes, a life that prioritizes the gospel as he's given to us here in the first 17 verses, we see God working in a man. We see God giving Paul different things and bringing uh, about a change in the life of the Apostle Paul. First of all, we know that he gives him new birth. Paul was a Jew, and he had had the high honor of being a Roman citizen as well. Paul was brought up in the city of Tarsus, which was one of the, the three cities with the greatest influence in shaping the, the Greek culture. Paul was highly educated. He was well prepared academically. Now, this was not unusual in the Scriptures. We know the same was true of, of Moses and of David and Isaiah. And, and just as a kind of a, a rabbit trail, this teaches us that there's nothing wrong with education, natural talents, natural abilities, natural gifts. Education is a great privilege. But education is, is neutral. It can be used positively for good or it can be used negatively for evil. Therefore, it's a responsibility to give that over to God for His use. So young people, pursue as much education as you can. Be prepared for whatever God is, is calling you to. But don't rely on your academic achievements solely. Solely, fundamentally, rely on God. So Paul was, was academically prepared in addition to his education, Paul was the son of a Pharisee. And as we read, as Brother Huber led us this morning from Philippians chapter 3, he, Paul became a Pharisee himself. But Paul's Jewish heritage, his Roman citizenship, his education, his status as a Pharisee could never result, all of those things combined, 
could never result in the apostle living out a gospel-prioritized life. First, God had to give to him new birth. He had to be born again, and God did that. God completely transformed Saul, who became Paul. A gospel-prioritized life begins with God giving you new birth. You see, God initiates. He comes looking for you, and that new birth brings all kinds of other changes down the road. So I pause here to ask you, has God given you new birth? Have you been born again? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ's substitution for you? If you have never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, I invite you to do that today, even right now, to place your faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross in your place. And if you have further questions about that, there are plenty of people who would be glad to talk with you after this service later this week to explain to you the truths of this good news. You cannot have a gospel-prioritized life until you have been given new birth. And when that happens, there are additional changes that take place. And so Paul goes on, not, not only do we recognize this new birth in Paul, but we see that the, the first description to us is that he's given, he's given a, a new attitude. He's called a servant of Jesus Christ. He didn't refer, Paul doesn't refer to himself as he's introducing himself to the, to the church at Rome. He's not referring to all of his other credentials. He doesn't list his impressive religious resume. Instead, he points to the fact that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos. It's, a doulos is a hired servant. Was, was not a hired servant, sorry, but was a person that had been purchased. In other words, he became a possession of his master. Paul is describing himself as a servant or as a, as a, as a bond servant, a slave to Christ. His chief goal, his main concern was to do the bidding of his master, Jesus. In Paul's opinion, there was nothing better than being a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss the paradox that's here in the text for us. The New Testament describes to us in different spots. You could go to Ephesians chapter 2, but the, the, the New Testament describes to us that all of us as human beings are slaves to sin, that we enter into this world as a slave to the master of sin, that we're pursuing that, that we can't do anything but serve the master of sin. But everyone that is born of the Spirit, everybody that is born again, who receives this new birth, is set free from slavery to sin. And when Christ sets us free, he calls us to the liberty of serving him. He is our new master. So in receiving a new birth, we have a new master. God turned this slave of sin into a slave of Christ. So Paul is explaining that he is in the same category as everyone else that he is writing to as far as this new attitude goes. He's a servant of Christ. This description of a servant was also given to Abraham and to Joshua, David, Isaiah, and others. And we know that it was a description also of the suffering servants of Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus had that, uh, had that attitude of service to others. We read in Matthew's Gospel, it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or your servant. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called 
to servitude of another master. Our master is not a political party that we serve with all of our energies. Our master is not an electronical, electronic device to which we give all of our cares and concerns. Our master is not to be the dreams of attaining more money, sex, power, or whatever, however you want to fill in the blank. Rather, our master is the one that brought us up out of the marketplace. Our master is the one that paid our debts and made us free, liberating us. Our master is the one who emptied himself of all but love and came and bled for the helpless race of Adam, humanity. Our master is the one that even now makes intercession for us before the throne of God. My friends, remember the new attitude that comes with being born again. We are servants of the new master. Let, us, let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So regardless of our roles in this life, stay-at-home mom, CEO, pastor, assembly line worker, teacher, everything in between, regardless of our roles in this life, if you have been born again by the grace of God, then you are called to servitude to Jesus Christ. Is that what your life looks like? Does your life look like you are a servant of Jesus Christ? Do your purchases reveal that? Do your dreams reveal that you are a servant of Christ? Do your habits does your vocabulary, does your heart reflect voluntary service to your new master? This was a change that God was bringing about in the life of the apostle and that he was encouraging the church at Rome to do. If you're going to have a gospel-prioritized life, it will be as a result of God giving new birth. It will be a result of God giving a new attitude. But Paul goes on. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, new attitude, called to be an apostle. So Paul is given a new mission. He's called to be an apostle. Now this is a, a very specific kind of bondservant. Apostle, that word apostle, may be one of the most misunderstood words in the New Testament. So don't confuse apostle with disciple. They're not interchangeable terms. Christ had many disciples. In fact, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are one of Christ's disciples. But there were 12 disciples that were also called to a special mission. They were his apostles. There are a couple of qualifications that we find in the New Testament that make a New Testament apostle. First of all, they had to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. They had to recognize and be a witness to the fact that Christ had risen from the dead. And then secondly, they had to have a specific call from God. An apostle is a sent one. It's literally what the word means. One who is sent a messenger that is sent on a mission to go carry out a deed. We could even probably think of the word delegate, someone that is entrusted with a mission and given the powers to go carry out that mission. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he kind of gave it this definition, an apostle is one chosen and sent with a special mission as the fully authorized representative of the sender. So Christ's apostles were fully authorized to go give a message. So while all Christians are disciples of Christ, all Christians are not apostles. Only men who saw the risen Christ could serve in this role. 
So when does this happen to the Apostle Paul? Because he wasn't around the table at the Last Supper, was he? So flip back just a couple of pages in the book of Acts, in your copy of the Scriptures, to Acts chapter, number tw- uh, Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. Paul is recounting something that had happened earlier in his life. He's talking to a king, and in verse number 13, <coughs> Paul says, he's, he's, he's reflecting back to, to what happened to him, and he says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, so bright as the sun, shining round about me, and them with, which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister, a servant, a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, he's seen them, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, a specific call, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Apostles are witnesses to the resurrection and receive a special call to the, to the role of an apostle. This is what happened in Acts chapter 26 to the Apostle Paul. So this isn't an office that you can volunteer for or be, elect, be elected into. Rather, it's God's call upon an individual. God chose a man who had not been one of the original 12 apostles. God chose a man uh, who had not heard Christ teach, who had not seen Christ's miracles or his crucifixion, but instead had been a chief enemy to everything that Christ stood for. The nationalistic Jew, the hater of Jesus, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, has been given the specific call to be a messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles. How amazing is it that God chose this man of all to write a letter that proclaims the undeserved, unmatched, and unstoppable gospel of Jesus. Paul, therefore, wants the Roman Christians to know that as they receive this epistle, they are receiving it under the authority of 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 God, someone designated by God to deliver a particular message to them. He was a servant, and he was called by God for this purpose. This was another clear display of God's work in his child. What grace, what undeserved kindness God had lavished upon his child Paul. Brothers and sisters, you and I are not called to be an apostle. We have not seen the risen Christ, but we have experienced the amazing grace of God. Your calling is also a picture of God's undeserved kindness to you. 
the mission that he's given to you is a display. It's, a, and it's an evidence of God's work in you as you prioritize the gospel, as he helps you prioritize the gospel in your life. It's another display, it's another evidence, another proof that God is at work in you because he's given you a specific calling. Your calling is specific to you. God has placed your children in your home. You have the unique responsibility and opportunity to evangelize your children as nobody else could, as their mom or as their dad. Your coworkers and your extended family members are all within your purview to evangelize. They're specific to you. You have unique opportunity. The opportunities that you have in the community, on your commute, at restaurants, are all God-ordained callings for you. So I ask you, do you see the gospel prioritized in your life as you respond to the unique calling God has given to you? Is the gospel prioritized in your unique mission? Paul was given new birth. Paul was given this new attitude of, of a new master, a new, a new servitude to a new master. He was given a new mission. And we also see in the first two verses of Romans that Paul was given a new status. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Here it is, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul was not only saved, not only a servant and called, he was set apart to be a proclaimer of this gospel message. We set apart all the time, don't we? We separate something apart all the time. We might separate funds. We're going we're gonna to use these monies in our family for this. And we, we save and we set those monies apart. Or we separate the time in our, in our week to accomplish something specific. So this time of the week, I'm going to do this. This time of the week, I'm going to do this. We separate stuff out. Separating for a purpose, with an intention. That's the idea that we have here. Separated unto the gospel of God. He was separated to do God's work before he was even born. The same was true of John the Baptist, Moses, Samson, and others. Jeremiah chapter 1 we read, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth from out of the womb, I sanctified thee. There it is. I set thee apart, and I, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. He was separated. The apostle was separated to the gospel work. God's work in the gospel prioritized life of Paul was not an afterthought. It wasn't, oh, okay. This chief of, chief of sinners, he's a persecutor of the church. I'll make him separated to the gospel. This was God's plan all along. It was not an afterthought. God knew what he was going to do. It was no accident that Paul was born in Tarsus. It was no accident that he had the training that he received, that he knew the culture and that he was a Roman citizen. God was working before Paul was born in order for this man's life to prioritize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody said it this way. In saying that he has been set apart for the gospel of God, then Paul is claiming that his life is totally dedicated to God's act of salvation in Christ. A dedication that involves both his own belief in and obedience to that message, as well as his apostolic proclamation of it. So before Christ, Paul was set apart to the traditions of Pharisees. He was set apart, he was separating, he was giving himself to the work of Pharisees. But after God's work in him, Paul was separated to a whole other manner of things. Before he was self-righteous and he was cruel 
And he was obsessive. Now he was separated into the gospel. And he can be joyful. He can rejoice in the Lord always. He was humble. Paul had been released from legalism and from attempting to earn favor with God through the law and through his own, his own works, his own efforts. Do you know what it is to be released from a negative legalism into the liberation of positive Christianity? If you are in Christ, you are no longer set apart, separated, and giving yourself to achieving, to trying to, to make God appeased with you, to make God happy with you. You are no longer set apart that way. You are set apart to being free in Jesus Christ. You are liberated to serve a new master. You are liberated to go and live your life to the praise of his glory. So before the foundation of the world, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life, and God has separated us unto himself. Friends, that, is foundation, that foundationally changes the priorities of this earthly life. The gospel message that Paul prioritizes reveals that God is working through his children by giving a new birth, by giving a new attitude, by giving a new mission, by giving a new status. You see, living a gospel-prioritized life has more to do with God's work than you might initially understand. We see that God is working through His child. But secondly, we see that God is working through His timing. Verse number 2 says, which He had promised to talk about separated into the gospel of God. What was separated into the gospel of God? Which He had promised aforetime by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. If you're reading the King James Version, you'll notice that verse 2 is in parenthesis. That was a decision by the translators. Some translations have it in parentheses, others don't. Either option is perfectly fine. There's no problem either way. The point is that this gospel for which Paul had been separated into as an apostle serving with the Lord, this very gospel had been promised years ago. It wasn't an afterthought. Last year at Harvest, we went through a book in the Old Testament called Joshua, the history of our promise-keeping God. Well, here in Romans, we see it all again. We see promises being fulfilled, promises being kept. Well, what promises are those? Way back in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's seed. We read in Genesis of, of God's promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the world would be blessed. God's promise to Jacob that the scepter would not depart from Judah. God's promise to Isaiah that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. God's promise that the Messiah would be despised and rejected. And all of those were coming to fruition, or had come to fruition. There are some 300 Old Testament prophecies about Christ that are part of the promises of God that have been made regarding the gospel. We read something similar in Romans chapter 15 at the end of the book. Verse number 8 says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, here it is, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. God was working in the Apostle Paul for his life to be prioritized by the gospel and so that he could preach that message to the, the, the Gentiles, the Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church. And as he was doing that, he was working through his child and God was working through his perfect timing. But why this long delay? Why didn't God send his son right after Adam and Eve? Right after Genesis 3.15? Why all of the Old Testaments in this long interval before Christ came? Well, maybe part of it was to reveal the depth of our sin. 
Sin is a fatal disease of the soul of man and it leads to dire eternal consequences. Maybe God had this interval to show humanity that all attempts to save ourselves would ultimately fail. There would be some great civilizations in the Old Testament. Babylon, Egypt, Nineveh, Greece, Rome. But they all failed. They could not save themselves. Maybe God also delayed to show that He indeed rules over all, that His, His control extends over everything. Year after year, decade after decade, even generation after generation, that people said, where is He? Where is this, this promised one? How come He has not come yet? Where are you, God? Then, in His perfect timing, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. This is the good news that God has been talking about from the very beginning of human history. All the way throughout the Old Testament, it's that the good news is that the gospel of, of, of God that Paul is prioritizing. This is it. Brothers and sisters, you can trust the timing of God. Sometimes that's really hard. If you've been praying for years and years for a loved one to be born again, it can be challenging to trust God's timing. As you're waiting for God to give you the desires of your hearts, you pray about it, you pray about it, but you don't see it happening. It can be hard to trust God's timing. Christians, for thousands of years, Jesus did not come. But then he did. Jesus came. God works through his perfect timing in order that a gospel may go forward. A gospel-prioritized life will acknowledge that God is working through his perfect timing. So I ask you, does your life give evidence to trusting God to work through His timetable? God is working through His child. God is working through His timing. And lastly, we note that God is working through His Word. He had promised the Gospel beforehand by His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul refers to the prophets of old that recorded the promises of God. Paul calls it, he says at the end of verse number one, the gospel of God. Christianity reminds us that God is there, and that he has reached out to us through his son. We could not reach God because our sins were in the way, but God removed the barrier through Jesus Christ. So Paul wanted the, the Roman Christians to know that the gospel was God's. It was not an afterthought. This gospel message was not new material. It was the word of God. It was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures that they knew and that they could read. Paul was establishing that this was the, the continued work of God from the Old Testament. So what Paul proclaimed was simply a continuation of what God had already been doing. Paul wanted the church at Rome to know that he was proclaiming the very Word of God. God works through His Word. When God speaks, we must listen. There's an old saying that goes this way. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, actually, if God said it, that settles it, whether we believe it or not. This is why one of our church goals is to teach the full counsel of God's Word. This book is our life. It's the final authority. This is the means that God is using to work in us, that we have a life that prioritizes the good news of Jesus. God is working through His Word. So I ask you, 
does your life give evidence that his word is part of your regular diet? How do we live a gospel-prioritized life in 2020? We remember that it was all initiated by God. It's His gospel. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. We rejoice that God fulfilled His promises from thousands of years ago according to His perfect plan, in His perfect timing. We cherish the word that He has given to us, knowing that His word cannot fail. Gospel. It's more than a buzzword. It's the foundational message that changes eternity for Christ followers. It's the revelation of God's working in His children through His timing, through His Word. It's initiated and completed by God. It's His gospel. He has more to do with it than you might think He does. So as we continue, as we embark on this journey through the book of Romans, as we consider the undeserved, unmatched, unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ, we're being called to the priority of the gospel. And as we do that, we must acknowledge that it's God's gospel. He started it, and that is why we praise Him. That is why we live for Him. And that is, by, that is why, by faith, we continue to trust in that good news. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.